0: Hey folks. Hello. My name is Ellen Adair.
1: And I am Eric Gildy.
0: And welcome to Take Me Into the Ball Game. Yeah. In an effort to bring the entire Take Me Into the Ball Game project into one feed, we are going to be releasing our old episodes on Pitcher List week by week.
1: Yes. Enjoy for the first time or revisit an old favorite.
0: And so now this is one of them. <laughs> And welcome
1: to "Take Me Into the Ball Game." Take me into the ball
0: game. I, my name is Ellen Adair.
1: I'm Eric Gildy.
0: I was about to introduce my husband, Eric Gildy, but he introduced himself. He's very excited. So, uh, this podcast is tentatively subtitled "Grading Baseball Movies on the 20 to 80 Scale."
1: It's (laughs) also
0: tentatively subtitled. We'll see how
1: long this lasts. Yes, that is right. We are here sitting on our living room couch. Uh, We are not watching the Blue Jays play the Phillies or the Mets play the Astros, which would be happening in a coronavirus-free world, but that is not the world that we are living in now. And um, like many people, we, in the midst of everything crazy going on right now, also just kind of like miss watching baseball right? And we have tried our best to keep our spirits up in a number of ways, but one of them has been in watching baseball movies.
0: Yeah, so I had this idea that we don't get to go out to baseball games or watch new baseball games in the privacy of our own home, so why don't we watch some baseball movies? And I, for all two people who might be listening to this um, who don't know, which seems unlikely, I grew up without a television, so there's actually a lot of baseball movies that I saw when I was a child in the movie theaters and haven't seen them since then, or I hadn't seen at all, and so this seemed like a kind of a fun project for us to get to watch baseball movies.
1: And I grew up with, like, TVs in all the rooms and hallways and closets <laughs> of my house. Bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. And closet. at the same time... There are a lot of baseball movies that I've seen and some which I've seen over and over and over again, but some that I've seen like once in, you know, like 1987 or something. So in a lot of ways for me, it's revisiting a lot of them. And we had watched a few and then thought, well, this would be a really like fun and good thing to to talk about and uh, and so here we are, putting our money where our mouth is. But so far, there's no money, but a lot of mouths. A lot of mouths, <laughs> mostly
0: mouths. No money. That's also the uh, tentative subtitle of this podcast. <laughs> who are we, or anybody who is listening to this, but cares or no, doesn't know who we are? Which again seems unlikely. But we are not at all qualified to judge baseball movies as human beings. Because we like baseball, we are just baseball fans, but we are actors, so that does give us, I guess, a little bit more insight into the craft of uh, storytelling and of movie making. We're not at all qualified to do this, we just thought it would be a good time.
1: And listen, we've got opinions. We're not qualified, but we've got opinions. We do. It's the American way.
0: Exactly. It's America, that's just what I was going to say. America, tentatively (laughs) subtitled. We're not qualified, but we do have opinions.
1: Oh my gosh! Uh, so, um, do we? Do we? Is is this a good time to introduce the the first film, our our inaugural film, which uh, we we sort of didn't pick specifically for this purpose, but it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a great choice. It's a really good way to start out. It's starting out on a high bar for sure.
0: It definitely is. It is one of many people's favorite baseball movies. We are starting out with Major League.
2: There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River rolling into Cleveland to the lake Major League. The
1: first one. Uh, which was written and directed by David S. Ward, who um, won an Oscar for writing *The Sting*, and then um, had a number of projects afterwards. Never quite like he he started out really hot, and then I don't know if he ever actually reached the same heights of *The Sting* afterwards. Arguably, he did with *Major League*, but uh, did. A number of things afterwards. I, I think this is a very well written film, and the direction is quite good too. I so, agree. I
2: agree. Um, in both
1: but yeah, yeah, good old good old David S. Ward. He 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 pulled it out. So this movie came out in 1989. This was, of course, the height of uh, the Oakland A's, uh, the Athletics killing it with the Bash brothers and Ricky Henderson. I think that Wesley Snipes' character might be slightly Ricky Henderson influenced. Definitely some Ricky Henderson
2: vibes, for sure. And interestingly
1: enough, one of the big rivals in this film is, of course, the Yankees. And um, I say, of course, the Yankees, because the Yankees are just like one of those teams that if they're going to be in a movie they're they're either going to be the hero or like the absolute villain. <laughs> and in this case they are the villains. Although interestingly enough, I think that the the Yankees, I think in the movie it says like, "Oh, they they won the pennant last year or something." But that's that's not true. The Yankees were actually like not great at this time. They hadn't won the pennant since like 1981. So their their big like resurgence in the 90s was still in front of them.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, but but the Yankees just have so much historical <laughs> dominance that they're always yeah they're always gonna be the villains. Although for that I, reason, I mean that's the way that I was raised.
1: One thing that I think is really fun though is that they're since they're movie villains, there's the oh gosh, what's his name? Haywood, the the rival batter, and Duke, the the pitcher at the the end of the decisive game, are both very noticeably not adhering to the uh to the hygiene It's
0: true. It's true. But let's not let's not get ahead oh, of ourselves. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're still in the first inning. Yeah. Okay. So
0: So I envisioned that potentially the main course perhaps of our discussion of baseball films would be to grade the films on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Obviously, we're not scouting because this is a you know long ago finished and produced and received piece of art, but it's still fun to kind of think about it that way. So,
1: Hey Ellen, Hey Ellen, could you give a little rundown of that twenty eighty scale for my mom who's listening? <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. Hi Julie. Um, so the twenty to eighty scouting scale, twenty to thirty is sort of well below average. Forty is below average. Fifty is considered average. So. This person is going to be an average, productive major league player. This is when scouts are evaluating talent.
1: And average is useful. It's not like a C student. It's like you're going to produce for your team. That means
0: saying that they're an average major leaguer means that they're going to be good enough to reach the major leagues. So 60 is above average, and 70 is well above average. very excellent, and 80 is like the best that anybody could possibly. It's like
1: historic imagine. talent. Yes,
0: historic talent. So four pitchers are graded on their various different pitches as well as their command and control. And hitters are graded on hitting, power, running, fielding, and throwing. But for our purposes, we're not so much concerned about limiting it to just five categories. We we have brainstormed a few categories that we're going to grade Major League on the 20 to 80 scale. And maybe for future ones, we will add other categories if we feel like it. Or maybe we'll take them away. I
1: don't know. We're figuring it out, folks. We're
0: figuring it out. Yeah,
1: we're we're still in spring training over here.
0: So uh, the first category that I would like to judge Major League on is amount of baseball. How much baseball do we get to see Mm, in this movie?
1: That's a really good category because there certainly are a lot of baseball movies where they're they're like a couple of scenes with people in uniforms and you see someone swing a bat but you don't actually leave feeling like you've watched any baseball. I don't know. I think that there's a Decent amount. Um, do,
0: you want me to, do you want me to give my, my scouting evaluation? Yeah, first? I've,
1: I'm feeling a little scout shy right okay, now. Okay, sure.
0: So I know that scouts rarely actually use 65, which is sort of what I feel. 65 was what was I was thinking of. I know it's exactly what you were thinking of, sweetheart. Guys, we're um,
1: married, we're and married. so we'll see if this becomes a thing. I don't know.
0: Anyway. Um, I'm actually going to go 70 here. There's always going to be a lot of non-baseball stuff in a baseball movie, but I actually feel like there's a plus-plus amount of baseball content in this movie, given that you know that there's always going to be scenes that are not baseball or directly baseball adjacent.
1: That's, that's, I I think that's very fair. 65 was the number I was thinking, and I think I'm going to stay with that, but I respect, I respect the 70. To be sure. Also, now is as good a time as any to mention that if you hear little gremlin sounds in the background, that is our adorable dog Mabel, who is also socially isolating. And whenever one or both of us is sitting down, she sees it as either a lap that needs sitting on, or I need to get this person out of their seat to chase me. So that could happen. We'll see. It'll be fun. Um, yeah, so, she's just
0: always scanning the world for if people have made a lap that
1: she needs <laughs> to sit on.
0: She's like, is there a lap? Yes or no?
1: So Amount of Baseball, it's it's interesting because and we were talking about this a little bit last night. The movie definitely has a little bit of like a heightened vibe to it in places. Not always, but you know, like Charlie Sheen, like with his like ripped sleeves and not wearing a hat <laughs> totally. and, 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 um, and and Brown, the manager is sort of ribbing him on that. And, and some of the inside stuff in the locker room and all that, like there, there are definitely like moments where it seems like it is taking a, a slightly hyper approach to it. But at the same time, there's a lot of it that just feels really true. I think in terms of, like the banter in terms of dealing with injuries, in terms yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it does feel like the kind of thing. Again, two actors here, but it feels like the kind of thing that a person would say to, it, like, a coach would say to a hitter, or a coach would say to a pitcher if he was taking him out. Like, it it feels feels right. Yeah, and and I I also just feel like there's there's a lot. For people who are baseball starved, you know, really, I feel like that's that's why amount of baseball was the first category that I even thought of. Like we are longing for that.
2: Oh, man. We
0: are longing for green outfields and the sharp parabola of a ball and the crack (laughs) of a bat. And so
1: listen, listen. guys, I'm going to I'm going to tell you two things. Ellen has been watching multiple old baseball games on YouTube to get her fix. It's not quite as good. She's she's chasing that dragon. It's not as it's not as good as the real thing, but like it's better than nothing. And also, it's a
0: cloth mother. We,
1: it's a cloth mother. We also um, we, that's, that's a
0: reference to something I was talking about on uh, on the podcast.
1: On the podcast, yes, yes, yes. It is it is totally cloth mother. And um, the other thing being, we have we both have some ramshackle notes printed out and I'm not sure about yours but on mine the back of my notes is just full of fantasy baseball
2: rankings
1: (laughs) (laughs) and we're we we've already done multiple drafts and are just in a in a holding pattern just like wanting to 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 move the to to set our lineups and thinking about our team names and and so we are starved for baseball.
0: And so for, if you are also starved for baseball, I, I feel like we can, we can honestly recommend a rewatching because let's be honest, it's a re-watching of Major League.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Keep going. So,
0: all right, let's move on to our next category. Some of these categories are going to be shorter than other categories. I feel like this one, at least for this movie, this might be one of the longer categories. Baseball accuracy. So I feel like what we should do here is that I'm going to go ahead and give my overall grade and then I will mention one thing and then Eric can mention another thing Mm -hmm. just so that I'm not going through my entire list because I'm sure that we have some of the same things on our lists. So (laughs) my overall grade for baseball accuracy in Major League is 45. Like below average, sort of like fringy but average given that it's a comedy. Mm -hmm. So my number one complaint is what kind of pitcher is Ricky Bond? This bothers me the most. He's brought (laughs) in like a reliever, but then he starts a game, and then he has to be told that he's not going to start in the back of the bus, and then he's brought into the game again that he told he he wasn't going to start. Like, how hard would it have been to have just made him the closer. And everybody's there in the stadium with their Wild Thing shirts, and they're ready with their Wild Thing song as if they are expecting him to be the closer. Like, it would not at all have just been hard to be like, yeah, we're going to make this throwing pitcher our new hotshot closer. It's true. Not difficult. Just just do that.
1: It's true, and I have more to say about that. But I think that's a that's a that's a no, another go- category. But but because this goes into storytelling. Oh, okay, we'll all get right, to yeah, 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 we'll get to that later. later. Do, do you? Your. I didn't mean to interrupt your.
0: No, go right ahead.
1: So I'm I'm going to take like slightly the opposite point of view on this, and I I mean it's it's not a lot, but I'm going to go fifty five, just because you go forty five. Partly because they're playing for comedy. I'm going 55, partly because they play for comedy, which I feel like allows for a little more elasticity in, in like, oh, well, this is not totally accurate, but, but it is, it is playing for the joke. It is knowingly inaccurate sometimes, I think. One exception, and this is a thing that, <laughs> that I, that I laugh at, is I feel like, major leagues depiction of spring training and like the minor league system is like a little bit inexplicable, right? <laughs> Cause like you've got the coach, um the incredible, amazing uh character actor, James Gammon, who just gives like I, maybe the performance of the movie for me. Like I, I think he's just so spectacular as Lou Brown. He's managing for the Toledo mud hens but like you know, he's like working in an auto shop and like doesn't give a shit, and that's like not really, maybe not super accurate, but like not funny. But then like you go to like some of the players that are, com- that are the 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 featured players of the movie. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And you're like, <laughs> Tom Berenger has been playing in Mexico, Charlie Sheen's in prison, Wesley Snipes wasn't even invited. And these are the people that show up, and the the owner of the team, this vile woman, because she's a woman, in what the first scene of the movie, which so clearly establishes her thing. Like, all she needed to say is like, "I'm the bad guy." Is she's like, "Here are the people that should come to sp- spring training," and it, and the invites. I know that like there are plenty of like non roster invites, whatever, but like. It seems like she just pulled a bunch of names out of a hat. It seems like completely not acknowledging the minor league system in that sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree that I feel like wouldn't they already have people in their minor leagues who are bad enough to fail at the major league level? Yeah. They're doing this like moneyball assemblage of bad players. and One of them really, is
2: dead!
1: And there's really
0: <laughs> no need for her to do that. She could just be like, oh, well, you know, yeah. like there's this 18-year-old kid who's really not ready to play at the majors. So like, let's just bring them on.
1: Yeah, it seems like it should be a lot easier for her. Yeah, like she can spend more time on her little uh, outside of her like luxury box with the butlers and the evil white jackets and the 80s henchman sunglasses.
0: Yeah, I mean, so this is an this is an excellent point. And it leads to another baseball inaccuracy for me, which is I get that this is supposedly based on Calvin Griffin doing the same thing with the twins in the 1970s. There was some sort of, like, incentive structure as well where if he kept att- kept attendance down, that then he could move the franchise...
1: I heard I, there was a Mariners thing after this as well, yes, too. But yes. yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I get that, and at the same time, I'm like, couldn't she just raise ticket prices?
1: Like, <laughs>
0: wouldn't that pretty successfully depress attendance if she was just like the bleachers cost 150 dollars, and then like whoever did show up, she'd be, I guess, making some money.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's also a part of me that thinks, like, as an actor, like it's always easy to come up with like a horrible decision right, totally. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so if someone were like okay Eric it's up to you to ruin this thing like I can <laughs> guarantee to you that I would be able to do it you don't even have to tell me what it is I bet I could figure it out
0: It kind of reminds me of the, like, spring training, the old spring training adage where, you know, when the coach is kind of like, well, you know, these problems tend to take care of themselves, (laughs) you know, sort of like, "Uh uh-oh, we have too much starting pitching. What are we going to do? Yeah, Um, it's kind of like that. That problem's going to take care of
1: itself. And a a funny thing, this isn't totally related to – well, it's not related at all to inaccuracy, but this feels like as good a time as any to – went out that, you know, the, the whole thing that she wants to tank the team so that she could move it to Miami. And it's funny, right, because it's 1989 when this movie comes out and um, the expansion franchise of the then-Florida Marlins did not come out until 1993. And then in 1997, the Florida Marlins won the World Series against the Cleveland Indians. Uh. So there is there is some interesting little... I don't know. Seeing
0: into the future there?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. The other, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the character of Rachel Phelps later in uh, another category that we have here. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, I don't know if this counts as baseball inaccuracies, but it does really bother me that she continues to root against the team even when attendance is clearly already up.
1: Like, there's so many people at those last games. So
0: many people at those last games. Like, why does she care about whether or not they win or lose that
1: there's so many people at those last games that in our current isolating situation, it may be a little concerned actually.
0: Right. Yes. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable to see so many people so close to each other.
1: I feel like you know what, there are other inaccuracies. We may uh we may touch on them as we go along, but I'm I'm happy to move on to the next thing. I, I
0: have a few more things that I'd like oh, to address. Oh
1: boy. Don't get on don't get on Ellen's bad list.
0: Yeah. So would Seeing better that deeply improve your command and control. It seems like it would make more of a difference for hitters. This is a really actually legitimate question. Like you know, I know that pitchers need to be able to see, but to a certain extent, like would it would it really be that much of a dramatic change?
1: I feel like I don't know. You know, you've got that you've got that mound uh, sixty some odd feet away, and you're trying to hit a. A, a little box of a strike zone, I I feel like it could. My thing with the, my my feeling of the inaccuracy inaccur- there is like, did Charlie Sheen really not think that he could see bad? Like-
2: right, yes. Did he not
0: realize that he could not read <laughs> things just, on a paper that far away? Was he
1: just like, why is everything fuzzy when it's far away? I don't know, I guess I'll continue Pitching.
0: It must just be my depth perception.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's how I can tell that it's far away, is that I can't see it. So yeah, that's one question that I have. I'm also curious that if Serrano could hit the fastball so well, why didn't he crush a couple early before they got a scouting report out on him?
1: Mm. You know, because
0: you see him struggling early on, and you would think that... With like, his
1: Spanish accent? <laughs>
0: that's not a baseball inaccuracy. (laughs) So you see him struggling sort of early on and then he gets better, but you'd almost think if he has problems with breaking balls, that it would be just the opposite, that he'd have an amazing first week and then everybody would just find out like, oh, just feed this guy a steady diet of breaking balls and you're never going to get hit off. So that's one question that I had.
1: To be clear, I think that Dennis Haysbert is great in this movie. He's wonderful. As the Cuban slugger... Pedro Serrano. I just think that like his his accent is just like not very good. And maybe I'm wrong, um, but like my impression that is that his Spanish is like someone who took like a week of Babel classes.
0: <laughs> I don't speak Spanish, so it's not as uh, it's not as glaringly obvious to me.
1: I haven't spoken Spanish in, uh, since college, basically, but it it definitely hits my. You're in a way that sounds like, oh, this is not a Spanish speaker. <laughs> it's true.
0: But I i mean, there are a few things that I would really like to celebrate, not necessarily in terms of baseball accuracies, but definitely um, Haysbert's performance is one of them. He feels like eminently believable as a baseball player to me.
1: And I think, oh, just really quickly in terms of accuracy, I think that some of those cuts that he took in batting practice, I think I read the story that he... He actually hit those balls. He hit some home runs. And that cast and crew were like, yeah.
0: That's amazing. And also Charlie Sheen is eminently believable as a baseball player. But um, reportedly he he played baseball in high school and was actually offered a baseball scholarship. So
1: that is that is true. And he claimed to have taken steroids for a couple of months leading up to it to try to improve his performance in the film. And his fastball got up to somewhere in the mid 80s, I think.
0: Oh, like Jason Vargas.
1: <laughs> like good old Jason Vargas. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I think I read also, I don't know if this had to do with things that they needed for the the cameras or if this helped Charlie Sheen along with his 85 mile an hour fastball, trying to get it to look like one approaching um 100 miles an hour but i think i read on some like imdb trivia or something that they actually ha- had like moved the mound up for some of the shots to try to like zing some of his throwing
0: you know i i was fooled and and i'm I not too. sorry like just fool me that's all that i'm asking like just have it pass the muster of somebody who is not a baseball player, yeah. but merely a baseball. Fan. Charlie
1: Sheen's great in this, right? He's so good. I mean, it's very delightful. And, like he had some really good bad boy things in the 80s. And like, what a weird reunion with Tom Berenger after being in platoon together, like <laughs> not that long before. Um, it, is a, it is a much more delightful battlefield that they are sharing. Yeah, I think I'd League. rather
0: have it go that way. Like it'd be sort of if you had already shot Major Lee together to then be like, and now we're shooting Platoon <laughs> together. Like they did that in the right order.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: So just a couple more things on baseball accuracy. I promise I think this is going to be the longest category. If Dorn is their defensive liability, why haven't they moved him to first base? Obviously not that first base doesn't have its own, like, defensive difficulties, and, you know, I'm here to praise the defensive excellence of players like Matt Olson. but, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you don't see much about their first baseman in the film, do you?
1: No. I mean,
0: maybe their first baseman is just, like, really good at doing the splits to dig those balls out.
1: The only first baseman that I can think of is uh, the villain, Haywood, um, the the Charlie Sheen's rival, I think is the first baseman for the Yankees. Ah, uh, okay. Because... He has that great interaction with Wesley Snipes where he's like, I'm going to steal... Like, I've got a pair of gloves for every base that I steal. I think that that's the same person who... Did you know this about the person who plays that character? Uh, he's,
0: a, he's a former baseball player, right? He's a
1: former Cy Young-winning baseball player who played for the Brewers.
0: I knew he was a pitcher. I didn't know he won a Cy Young. He that's won, crazy. He won
1: the Cy Young in 82 for the American League. So like he plays a slugger, but he like never actually batted. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> which is amazing. And like sort of heartbreakingly in a minor way, but in like a, one of those baseball ways, he was traded to the Brewers from the Cardinals. And then like his like second year with the Brewers, he went to the World Series with the Brewers and then lost to the Cardinals. Oh. Yeah. I think he oh, pitched that's twice. Awful. He had a loss and a no decision, I think, And then he that had time. to play
0: a Yankee in a movie. Yeah,
1: that's... Oof.
0: Not about the Yankees.
1: But at least he got to keep that gorgeous horseshoe mustache.
0: Yeah, seriously, yes. Which is bringing back to the inaccuracy of um, him being allowed to have facial hair. It's a
1: delightful inaccuracy. Yes.
0: I mean, I'm all for it. Everybody should be allowed to have facial hair. <laughs> um, there's some things in the film that are not inaccuracies, but are just kind of like funny for baseball audiences now. Yeah. One of them was the whole, you need to give me 20 push push-ups every time you hit a ball in the air. Like, I would like to see the opposite implemented for that, it, for, like, Wilson <laughs> Ramos and Eric Hall. That would be delightful. I also
1: love that, that, that uh, Corbin Burson, that's Doyle, right? Uh, the third baseman. Dorn. 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 Is there a Doyle? I'm just maybe thinking of Doyle. Is ordered to do, like... Lou Brown does that same thing with, with Corbin Burnson with Dorn, to do 20 sit-ups. And he has it written into his contract.
2: <laughs> that he like, doesn't have to do it. He
1: doesn't have to do like certain types of exercise. And, you know, I appreciate that Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes is someone with a lot of ego, but you know what? He doesn't question that he does, he does those push-ups every single time.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's the difference. Like he didn't even get an invite to the camp. Whereas, you know, Dorn is clearly supposedly their superstar.
1: I, there was an interview with David S. Ward where he said that Wesley Snipes was like very bad at baseball. Like he just oh, like, no. well, like I, I think it's just like, it, it wasn't a sport that he grew up with. So it was just like, it, he was very new to it on set. And I think that that's... He, like,
0: climbs the wall to make that catch.
1: Right. But I think that there are not many, if any, shots of him, like, throwing a ball, for example. Mm. So, like, he's obviously, like, a super athletic guy. But just in terms of, like, the mechanics of baseball, I think they were just, like, foreign enough to him that they didn't actually... Um, and, I don't know, maybe this is, like, inaccurate. I just, I read it off the internet, guys. I read it on realbaseballfacts.tv. <laughs> That's um, how
0: you know it's true.
1: But I thought that was super interesting. And, like, some of the big moments of his are slow-mo moments. And I, I think that, like, there's a chance that some of them were, like, oh, it's slow motion to, like, make him look faster oh. <laughs> than he actually was. Although there's that great moment where he he... In spring training, which is baffling and I guess falls into inaccuracy, but also I think just falls into like 80s comedy where he goes into spring training in his weird car, which I think was actually like a Beetle converted to look like a Rolls Royce, which I guess was a thing at a time. He goes in, meets everybody, unpacks his bags, and that's when security (laughs) comes in. There's like five security guys who come in and say, yeah, that's the guy who doesn't belong here. Like you let him move in to the camp and then you kick him out in the middle of the night, not by waking him up, but by moving the bed, which is Cleveland Indians property, presumably, and moving him off and just leaving him there. I'm sorry, but I don't find that very accurate.
0: Yeah. No, it's not. It's not accurate at all. Particularly since uh, just earlier today, I was listening to on the podcast, Sean Doolittle talk about the first time that he was called up to the A's and they he didn't have any documentation and so they wouldn't let him into the ballpark.
1: <laughs> right, right. The security guards did not let Sean Doolittle go roam around the park, wait until he got into his pajamas and then sneak in and lift his bed out like a college prank. no. Sean Doolittle got the real security treatment. I'm sorry, Sean.
0: This leads me to another accuracy question that I have, which is, I would love to know if players were in bunk beds in spring training in the 1980s. That's a
1: really good question. Now
0: or ever. This is a very important question asking for a friend.
1: Yeah. Is this something that is... Accurate, or is this...
0: Was it ever it, accurate?
1: Is it? Is it, like, a statement? Like, because it looks like the barracks in, like, full metal jackets. It does. You wait for, like, Arlie Ermey to come out and, like, <laughs> and, and give, like, incredibly vivid, um, like, very obscene insults to every specific player. But he doesn't show up, even though... It feels like it's the same bunk beds, yep you're waiting for Tom Beringer to like pin Charlie Sheen down and hit him with a bag full of soap bars or something, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the bunk bed situation that is very strange, and also who gets the top bunk and who gets the bottom bunk? That was not um
0: it wasn't really explored, it wasn't really explored in the.
1: you had a bunk bed, didn't you? I did. Were you a top bunk person or uh, well I had
0: bunk? I had a bunk. There was no bottom bunk to it.
1: Oh. So
0: I was a top bunk person in that in answer to your question.
1: My brother and I had bunk beds for a while, and I honestly don't I think I was the bottom bunk.
0: I was gonna guess you were the bottom bunk.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Just I was gonna
1: guess. I don't know why I'm like defensive about that, um, because I was and I thought it was great. Like who wants to climb up a ladder to go to bed?
0: It's awesome to sleep in elevation. <sighs> Okay. Yeah.
1: I did have one of these very tight beds when Ellen and I first started dating. And I really thought of it as a liability, but I, I guess it helped me out. As a child,
0: out. though. As a child, it's great.
1: But when I was like 26... It, it
0: was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was a necessity. I was, I guess that you were a bottom bunk person because I was going to guess that your brother was absolutely going to demand to have the top bunk and that you... Being affable would be like, yeah, that's fine. The top bunk or the bottom bunk. It doesn't matter to me.
1: That might be how it that that feels right. But I'm not I'm not sure, actually. It, it could be that we just both were like, yeah, this works great for both of us. You should ask Joe. Hi, Joe. So we're, hi, Joe. So we're going to move
0: on to our next category, which is storytelling. So this can encompass a number of things. It can be the writing, the way in which the film sort of progresses, also the editing, Mm -hmm. these these elements. So direction can be part of it, but it is not, strictly speaking, direction. And writing can be part of it, but it is not, strictly speaking, writing.
1: I'm tempted to give a kind of high score to storytelling, except there are enough exceptions to it that I feel a little bit... Put in a corner here. I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go with this. uh, I think I'm going to go with the 65 again.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Oh, maybe 60.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. I'll go with... I'm going to go
1: with 65. I'm going
0: to... Yeah. Even though the scouts never go with 65, Eric Hilde is going to go with 65. (laughs) Listen,
1: um, now is maybe as good a time as any to share the fact that although I am a great... Great baseball enthusiast with like plus knowledge in baseball. I don't come anywhere near Ellen. And so this could be the dynamic that just exists. Well, I mean it is the one that exists in life. So I assume that it will also be conveyed. Yeah,
0: this podcast in this is going to hold way. the mirror up to nature you. Know? <laughs> yes. Anyway, no no no, I totally I respect your 65. You 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 stand by it.
1: Gosh, cuz there are some really bad storytelling moments, right? Like so when Charlie Sheen sleeps with Dorn's wife like she picks him up at the bar for revenge because she saw him like walking off with a lady um, on TV and she leaves after like being like ha ha I am Corbin Burnson's wife ha ha and then vanishes he exits his bedroom Charlie Sheen does and like Tom Beringer is there and you're like wait are you guys rooming together? <laughs> Was is this a thing? He's been breaking into places. So who knows throughout if he just the whole movie? Broke
0: into Ricky Bond's he's apartment. He's
1: like up in Rene Russo's place. He he thinks he's going to Rene Russo's place, but like he actually walks into like her fiance's place for like a very interesting, awkward uh, little dinner party. Who are those
0: people at that dinner party? That's what I want to know.
1: They're like, fancy type.
0: No, but like who are they? Are are those are the old people like his his parents of some kind? And like the woman who's like sort of into Tom Berenger and disparaging of him at the same time. Um. Like who are they? I really I don't know. These are the kinds of things that always drive me crazy and that I always want to know. And I'm like, you could have just put in like a mom or like an aunt sally or whatever like at the end of one line just so that we know who these people are to each other well and it bothers me
1: tom Beringer really sells himself short because this woman that ellen is talking about is like i don't know she says in some kind of like alluring way some like how good are you or how much do you make or something and he says league minimum i mean maybe he doesn't say it in that kind of like That kind of like Eeyore way that I just gave it. But but he says league minimum and like selling himself short way. The league minimum in 1989 was sixty eight thousand dollars, which was like not great, but like not like it was still, I think, like double or more the average. Salary, so like I don't know, he could have he could have told himself better. To answer your other question, I
0: think just just on this point though, I think that number one, obviously, if somebody made the league minimum now, also like that would be fine. They'd be making a lot more money than you and I. But on that point is he said people are paid different amounts depending upon how talented they are. And then oh. she was like, oh, and how much are you paid? And so he had to say league minimum, and it was an admission that he is not incredibly he's, talented. He's at the end of the road. So I think yeah. it was not so much about only making $68,000 or whatever number it was that you just said as it was uh, the, his suppo- the supposed correlation to
2: quality.
1: No, that's true. That's true. In answer to the other question, my stab at an answer would be that they are general academic types. Because Rene Rousseau, in her marriage to Tom Berenger and their romance, was a, an Olympic caliber, Olympic alternate, swimmer. And, swimmer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they meet each other in a restaurant by happenstance, and he... He has a fun little game with the with the phones at the restaurant to get Rene Russo to, to 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 come out and and have a little private chat away from her fiance. She says she she's become a, a librarian and she says books are my life now. And so I think that we are just led to believe that this is a room of like general academics. But like honestly, Tom Berenger walking in with his jacket, like I don't know, he looks pretty good. I think I, I don't think he doesn't belong. It's not like um, there's that moment with Charlie Sheen where he's like he's wearing his like cut off thing and his hair is all crazy and he's like I feel like a what a, banker. I feel like a banker just because he's got like a tie from and there's like the joke of that. But like Tom Berenger, like it looks good. He's wearing a sport coat with a shirt. Like he's not at a wedding or a funeral. Like he looks fine. He could go anywhere.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, I also feel like general academics. I don't know that I don't buy it. Those people didn't seem like academics. If that's who they were supposed to be, or
1: like patrons of the arts or something.
0: <sighs> yeah, but why would I don't know? Anyway.
1: Wh- oh, um, what
0: are your what are your other storytelling quibbles?
1: The other big one, and and this was what I was going to bring up earlier, is there is again when it's like wait a minute. You mean I can't see like the world isn't just fuzzy after a certain point. And he gets these like kind of granny glasses, which I can't imagine him ever picking those glasses out. But he, th- those are the ones he starts with. It's an emergency. He he gets. Yeah, pe- he
0: didn't pick them out. Somebody, they're clearly somebody else's glasses that he's using right then, which also like doesn't seem safe to me. Actually, to yeah. just like use somebody else's glasses.
1: Yeah. Although he's you know gonna,
0: he's gonna get you know he's gonna start feeling sort of nauseated soon.
1: It's true. It's true. Although Sawyer does that in Lost, and it works pretty well for him. You'll just have to take my word for that. Um, Ellen has not seen Lost, so he's still pitching crazy. What's going on? We get the, oh, your vision's bad. We get the glasses. Corbin Bernson really likes them, which I think is a really good joke. And then we cut to him on the mound. We don't get a scene of like, oh my God, he's turning it around because of these glasses. We cut to a scene where it's the ninth inning and Tom Berenger comes up and is like, you pitched a hell of a game. And it's like, Wait, what?
0: If there was ever a time for a montage, <laughs> yes, it's still the eighties. Give us a
1: montage. <laughs>
0: give us, a, give us a beautiful pitching montage. Like, who doesn't want a baseball montage right there?
1: Yeah, it's like it's like it cuts for, like. Well, maybe this will turn you around automatically to the end of like. Do you have enough for like another batter or two or something? And. And you don't get to you don't get the satisfaction, that like video game satisfaction of like, oh, I got the power up, and now like things are gonna change, it's gonna be easier now. That total montage energy, you just don't get. And it and I find that to be a very sad like storytelling moment. Considering that like Sheen is I don't know, I think I think it's Berenger's movie personally, but I think that I think that like He is so important and that is such an important moment or should be. And it's just like not there.
0: So for all of these reasons, I'm going to go 55, um, which let us all recall that this is still above average. God, I went
1: 65 after all of that. A
0: highly productive major league player is Major League, the baseball movie. I think it's a delightful movie. Yeah, I think that, like, in many places, the storytelling is really great. The direction is great. uh, But there are a few moments like that. And, like, why does that reporter in offensive Native American garb say cowabunga? Like, I don't know. (laughs) So, like, 55. Like, it's still really good. It's a really good movie, and, and we love it. We're just picking apart the things that we can pick
1: apart. I kind of like that he says Calabunga. I think that it's a little bit of, like, embracing the chaos. <laughs>
0: that's why you rated it 65, my dear.
1: I guess so, yeah.
0: So our next category is acting.
1: Okay. Well, hey, it's up to you now. We're, we're snaking this.
0: Okay. Um, so I, I think this is a 70. I think that the acting in this movie is just uniformly fantastic. I'm
1: also a 70 with it.
0: Which also speaks to really good direction, um, when when you see that an entire cast is great, you know that the the direction in terms of not just the storytelling but the direction to the actors was excellent. Yeah, everybody is so delightful in this movie. Oh my God,
1: Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, Rene Russo, James Gammon, Corbin Burnson. What's his name? Uh, Chelsea Ross, who plays the sort of aging um, super Christian pitcher with the who has like the Crisco here and like the, the Vegasil
0: here the Vagisil
1: here um,
0: I don't understand how you have not already named Wesley Snipes however.
1: Wesley Snipes Never. of Wesley course Snipes. Wesley Snipes God he is so and I think that he was kind of an unknown at the, I think that this mm. might have been his first big movie and he's Eric just, does
0: this kind of research yeah I I, I don't know things Eric
1: knows he things. no he's just like so charming and funny and delightful but like I don't know I actually I think that this is this is a a thing that is great about the movie the movie in general but the acting obviously supports it is like it's so winning and funny throughout but like has the stakes of a serious sports movie mm-hmm. Like I you get invested in it and the people, even as there are so many great lines like this is one of those infinitely quotable films. I posted on Facebook that we had seen this movie and there are, I don't know, half a dozen comments as of now about it. And they're all just like different quotes from the movie. And it's true. Like I
0: just like your Facebook comment flex. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're like L- a half a dozen. Listen, guys, <laughs> I got six Facebook comments, <laughs> and I, and I think that Chelsea Ross, I I think that I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but his 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 rivalry with with Serrano is so interesting and delightful, and I love that they both end up like coming together a little bit by the end of it. But I love his line towards the end or towards the beginning where he says something like. You're telling me Jesus Christ can't throw a curveball or can't hit a curveball, I think?
0: Yes, I think can't hit a curveball.
1: Oh, my God. It's a good good.
0: question. I mean, I would bet that Jesus Christ, like, didn't see a lot of breaking balls, and so probably couldn't hit a curveball. You're
1: trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball. I mean, it depends on
0: whose curveball it is. If it's Aaron Nola's curveball, he's got no
1: chance. But it also makes me think about, like, how... I know
0: he's the son of God and everything, but Aaron Nola.
1: (laughs) It makes me think about, like, how, how when curveballs first came into existence in like the late 19th century how like it was so controversial because it was like deception yeah
0: and and was it weren't supposed to do that
1: it was like harvard or something that like banned them because they were like we do not play by these tricky rules like we believe in honesty and integrity and the curveball is not that
0: so I guess actually what you're saying is that Jesus Christ wouldn't hit a curveball on principle.
1: Yes, he'd be a conscientious objector conscientious to, the to the curveball. <laughs> uh,
0: excellent. So <laughs> our next category, and this was my idea, and it's really slightly less of a thing for this film, but the idea is that or, or, I'm oh, sorry, did, I go, I, we can go back.
1: There's one more storytelling thing that I wanna that I wanna just point out, which is I think the introduction to this movie is so masterful and perfect these shots of like little baseball diamonds there's a couple of them but then shots of like industrial decline in Cleveland all while burn on is playing the Randy Newman song from 1972 about the day that the Cuyahoga River caught on fire and this is all juxtaposed with like Shots of like the, the, the movie, like newspaper shots of the Indians winning in 1948 and then slowly declining and kind of like combining the decline of the team with the decline of the city, all while this very dark, but like somehow sweet and like kind of hopeful, like... Um, or not hopeful but like loving Randy Newman song plays Cleveland City
2: of Light City of Magic
1: Cleveland City of Light you're calling me is such an amazing Amazing way to start a movie, and I th- i think it just like sets the table perfectly in the same way that like Bob Euchre, God bless him, that his first that the first shot of Bob Euchre is him pouring himself a shot of whiskey as he's announcing the opening day game. This isn't like the decline of the announcer as the season goes on, like he's at bottom at the beginning. And I just love it.
0: Totally. Yes. Excellent.
1: Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. We are now officially done with storytelling. <laughs>
0: Great. So our next category, and this was an idea that I had, and it is stems from the fact that I very often love the catcher character in whatever baseball movie it happens to be, even if the catcher character is is sort of a more minor or supporting character. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if some of this is because I was a catcher when I played softball, but I think it's just because catchers are inherently lovable. I was a shortstop. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're a majorly cool dude. So, um, the next category is delightfulness of catcher character.
1: Ooh, Ooh boy. This is a high number.
0: It's, it is. It is it is a high number. Do you want to go first, or do you want boy, to go first? Boy, I
1: mean, like... I want to say 70 just to like oh. give a little bit of room because I want to just I want to give Tom Berenger like all of the points. Um, I'm going to go 70. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. That's fair. I thought 60 definitely a plus delightful catcher character despite the fact that he is always breaking into Rene Russo's apartments. Yeah and that's not okay. Maybe Ricky Vaughn's and also that he's sort of like an inveterate playboy and slept with a lot of different people. According to Rene Bruce's character.
1: Well, he says it too. he's like don't you want someone who's attractive to all the flight attendants or whatever?
0: Yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily an argument that makes me want to grade him higher than 60. like 60 is already a very good grade.
1: That's true. One thing a uh, uh, point of clarification on this is are we are we rating them as their? <laughs> what what is the rating about is it about them as like the catcher character which is usually like the usually like the leader who's like kind of approaching the end or whatever like that's that's a little bit the trope of the catchers a catcher in movies or like is it based on like how good they are as players in the movie like what is there a dynamic that we're that we're So to be clear, this
0: is totally subjective. Mm -hmm. So it is the delightfulness of the character, the delightfulness, yes, yes, yes. In total, so if the fact that they are good or bad at their job increases their delightfulness to you as a viewer of the film, then that can be part of the factor. But yes, so it is them as a human being, also them as a player, everything about them in in the film, the way that you receive it. How much delight do you
1: feel? Well, so then I'm going to stick to 70 because I think that Tom Berenger in this movie has gotten older and he's learned some lessons and he's just like trying to make good. There isn't that scene where I don't right. There isn't that scene where you, where you, where like Rene Russo is like I believe in you and then like catches him in bed with somebody else and like. Like, it, it seems like he is, in the movie that we are watching, a reformed version of the, like, character that Rene Russo divorced.
0: Yeah, but he didn't call her for three years. I mean, I still gave him a 60 grade.
1: No, that's like, true. That's true. That's true. Plus
0: delightfulness. So, our next category is delightfulness of announcer.
1: Oh, I mean, I... Do I, 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 you want I, me to go? Yeah, I want you to go.
0: 80. I mean, Bob eucher he's the gold standard of baseball movie announcers, being an actual announcer himself and also very excellent at acting in this movie. And
1: I, I read somewhere that, that David Ward didn't even have, like, I, I feel like I read somewhere that he didn't know that Bob Euchre even like had been had this announcing career. He just like loved Bob Eucher. Yeah, like I as read the player. same thing that
0: he. Yeah, and that he saw him in the like Miller Lite ads and some and the Miller Lite ads. Yeah, and was like, oh yeah, yeah. And then he brought him on and was like, oh, you you're you're the announcer for the Brewers. Cool. I think the there's some Miller Lite things.
1: stuff in the booth at least once in the movie. I wonder if that's an. I mean, clearly it's an intentional thing, but yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't quite notice that myself. The other thing that I read, and this is... I did a journalistic deep dive into IMDb trivia, but according to that source, the just a bit outside was an ad lib, mm. which I feel like if if nothing else convinces you that Bob Euchre is a Hall of Famer baseball movie announcer, that factoid should.
1: Yeah. And of course, like the... I mean, I'll also add, like, he's just so perfect in this movie. I just remember also he his like classic thing about like how to catch a knuckleball that you like wait for it to stop rolling and then you <laughs> go over and pick it up. It, it just it's so funny and just like so I feel like it tells you so much about like the kind of I feel like Bob Bucher is the is actually the person that you like want him to be yes. <laughs> from yes. from seeing stuff like Major yes. League. Yeah. And that's part of the joy. Of Bob Buecher.
0: Of Bob Buecher, yeah. 80 grade. 80
1: grade. Yeah, I'm going to go 80 also.
0: So the last category that we have is misogyny, although maybe we haven't talked about this before, it's clear that we like deeply discussed all of these things before we decided to record this podcast, (laughs) is maybe we should actually have the category be lack of misogyny so that a high grade is not misogynist and a low grade is misogynist. Otherwise, you're giving a high grade for a bad thing.
1: Well, I mean that, I mean, like that can... That can work. I mean, we just watched Chernobyl, right? Like, if there's a high grade on the Geiger counter, that means, like, get out of... uh, Yeah, but
0: for all the other things and for, for all the scouting grades in real life, a higher number is a good thing.
1: I am happy to structure this however you want.
0: Okay, like. so we're going to go lack of misogyny.
1: This feels like a very Ellen Adair thing to to like grade the lack of a thing.
0: <laughs> it is very Ellen Adair. Like,
1: <laughs> very semantically complicated. These uh, kinds
0: of distinctions are incredibly important to me. <laughs> so, I'll go ahead and start. In my opinion, I love this movie but it's bad. It's actually, it's really bad in this film. I'm going to go 30. This lack of misogyny should not see the major leagues. This is like the the slowest slugger that you've ever seen who is going to make the team, but it's like, oh God, we never want to see that guy have to run because if running were lack of misogyny, that is what this film would be.
1: Yeah, I agree that this movie is very bad at... Lacking misogyny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so not only, as Eric uh, discussed earlier, is the villain a woman who, like, just doesn't get baseball.
1: And in the in the end of that beautiful opening that has this incredible song and really, like, sets a, a very beautiful tone, there's, you know, the headline of, like, I, I don't know what it is, but, like, you know, the owner dies and ex-showgirl takes over the team, which is just saying, here is the person you are rooting against in this movie before there's a single line of dialogue.
0: And then the fact that, you know, when they discover this thing, and obviously like, I'm human, I'm rooting against her. But when they discover what she's doing and they put the sort of, pin-up thing in the clubhouse where they remove her clothing it's also like oh well it's okay to objectify her because she's the bad guy it's a sort of like weird morality thing
1: yeah and it's a weird like and it's it's really icky that moment because that actor is i mean obviously like a beautiful woman but like there's nothing that like that moment is not about sex right the, oh, all we need to do is win this many more games and every time, it's like 30 more games, which is completely different. That's a little bit inaccurate also. because so I think there are like 121 or 122 games into the season or something. And they're like, all we need to do is win 30 more games of our like 40 remaining games.
0: I mean, uh, that's that's a crazy winning percentage.
1: But there's, it feels that really gross thing where it's it's more about like power and like shaming her by taking her, clothes off in a way that she doesn't know about it's very in the moment of the film like it can kind of like feel like sort of innocent bro thing but like it's actually like pretty problematic
0: yeah 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 it definitely is and i mean granted we know that she's the bad guy but then right. it's also sort of like right but if the bad guy is a sexy woman then like she's asking for it and that's just that's a problem
1: There, there are issues with that thing yeah
0: and then also Rene Russo's character.
1: Wait, can we, can we just like hit pause real quick? Because like, what's the name of the villain woman again?
0: Rachel Phelps.
1: Did you, in your research, come across the original ending?
0: Uh, no, I didn't.
1: So this is where it gets super fucked up as far as the misogyny goes. So there was an, a, there was an ending shot for this film where Lou Brown goes in and has a... I think it's a scene between the two of them. And she is like, I wanted you to win all along, but you needed, like, a villain to get behind. And this was all, like, her master plan to get them to win, actually. And it tested badly. Audiences preferred her being the villain. Isn't that crazy? She was originally... I mean... And who knows whether or not that ending actually, like, would have worked. Like, maybe we would see that now and be like, this is still problematic, but it's it's still the better ending. Yeah, Yeah, Um, you didn't
0: have to force them on that airplane just to make sure that they won in the end.
1: But the movie originally, I guess, had this twist where she was like... Like, ah, uh, yes, all of the pieces have fallen into place and the Indians have won, like, and attendance is up and you've all banded together and you're really a team now because of me, a woman owner. Um, those are not actually lines from the, screenplay, oh, I thought you'd gotten I the script. I hope. No, no, I don't.
0: I mean, he's have... really good at research.
1: That was from some of my fan fiction. <laughs> um,
0: I feel like I would have liked that, hypothetically. I mean, also, I hate unearned. Twists. Mm-hmm. Like so it's possible that I would have watched it and I would have been like, but this ad doesn't actually track with the rest of the film.
1: And who knows but if like, that if that version also had like other interstitial things that gave hints or I'm like, who knows?
0: Yeah, but, that's very interesting. Oh.
1: Yeah. But anyway, I I wanted to mention that before moving on to the other two, other women, two women in
2: the
0: m- movie, <laughs> Yeah. The female characters. <laughs> so Renee Russo's character is obviously the Madonna character in the film, Uh and she's like, "I, I just like books now, and so we have nothing in common, despite the fact that she used to be an athlete, which is just like boring.
2: Like,
0: not real, not fully developed. It just feels so much like a kind of men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of a thing. Yeah, like, it's
1: a binary. You can either like sports or you can like books.
0: You can only like one or the other. You can't like both of them.
1: Choose a side, bro.
0: Yeah. And, and like, it feels to me, honestly, like she's laying it on a little thick, going to the point of having a vanity license plate that says, read it.
1: Like I didn't notice that. Who are
0: you trying to prove that you're a librarian to?
1: Like, yeah, she's really she, virtue signaling with her with her ability and to read and her enjoyment of reading.
0: And it's so ironic because if she were actually a good person, she wouldn't have a vanity license plate. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, I I feel like misogyny also counts in sort of simplistically constructed female characters. And so, sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no, I'm just I'm just nodding and I think that I think that what I'm dealing with is that, like, this is definitely, like, not a super great female character in a movie. But, like, Renee Russo is so good that it, like, almost makes me think that it is.
0: Her acting is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, she is wonderful. She um, makes a, a, the person who feels a little bit, like, drawn on in crayon to me. Yeah. Into, like, a, a believable person. Even that last shot where she just, like, holds up her hand and she has no ring on it. And I literally went...
1: That's true. (laughs) Eric laughed at me. It's true. No, but it's and it's it's a thing that we think about a lot. I guess just like as actors, is like how masterful a person needs to be at their craft to make a role like that just seem like not a problem. Oh yeah, like that's fine.
0: Like that's a person.
1: And even be like, oh, she's great. Oh, you know what? Like, good for them. But, like, there are, like, a lot of, like, issues. There's a lot of stuff that's unresolved. She's selling it so well
0: yeah but he got that bunt hit and so she just she's gotta come back yeah
1: he ran it out and he like... legged it out <laughs> so oh then
0: the other woman in the film
1: it really is i mean like are there even other like speaking
0: parts by women i'll, I'll get there in one second
1: all right she's gonna get so there guys
0: the other woman in the film gets vaughn in trouble because she sleeps with him for revenge Awesome. Like, great, great depiction.
1: And she, like, changes her hair, which is a disguise. She, like, puts it up.
0: She's like a curveball. <laughs> so what I was going to say, though, is that the woman who comes up to Vaughn when he's at the jukebox and is like, Wild Thing, I think I love you. She's fine. She's cool. I'm good with
1: her. Oh, right. Right, but, like, right, 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 That's the right.
0: only other woman that I can think of. Who has, like, lines.
1: Yeah, I didn't even remember her. You actually. see
0: other women wearing wild thing t-shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, so.
1: they're in they're in the stadium and cheering and like there I think there's a woman in the It's actually kind of a great. I mean, I guess it's a storytelling thing. At one point there's like there is a really great shot of like fans recognizing that they're like wearing Indians gear. Yes. That I that I enjoy think that is really really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not much else.
0: But Just to, like, create a small segue here, I find that the depiction of the, like, fans in Cleveland is really delightful. I I really enjoy those segments.
1: Yeah, and, like, there, there are those kind of, like, the very dressed up but a little jaded fans that we kind of follow throughout the film that I do kind of love, the ones that are, like arguing over about whether the ball was too high when it got when it got hit yeah and then like it keeps coming back to them like continuing to argue about it is one of those things that feels very true feels very accurate to the way that like baseball fans can like talk about baseball and like just get really like passionate about the minutiae um and the semantics of what they're talking about but also being like yeah my team sucks but i'm gonna show up every day Because I want him to win. Yeah. Because
0: I want him to win. There
1: there was something really, really lovely about that for sure.
0: So this leads into a segment that hopefully will do for every film, which I am tentatively titling Six Degrees of Baseball, in which we discuss just one actor in this film who is also in another baseball movie that is not totally obvious. So like, you know, this is not like Kevin Costner's been in more than one baseball movie.
2: What?
1: Um, it's true. Oh, God. I'm sort
0: of spoiling our next segment, but...
1: Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a baseball movie, right?
0: 100%. So the person that I noted was that this was actually the film debut of Neil Flynn, who plays the longshoreman in Major League,
1: <laughs> and
0: he also plays the first baseman in Rookie of the Year. So, oh, my God! Yeah, Six Degrees of Baseball.
1: Oh, uh. Can we can we just like briefly mention like a couple of other like baseball people in this movie though? I know that this like goes against your your, your thing, but like but like Charlie Sheen was in Eight Men House. Yes. And Dennis
0: and, Haysbert was also in the film Mr. Baseball. Wesley Snipes Mr. was also in the baseball. fan.
1: Oh my god, yes, yes. And I wanna say that that James Gammon also played a manager and something else. But I, I don't know that. That's all I know. I think he did the thing in another thing. That's some good podcasting. That's some
0: good <laughs> podcasting. Right there. And I just want to be clear that we're not creating a precedent in which we are naming every single person in the baseball movie who has been in another baseball movie, because we really just want to be able to like casually notice these things and not deeply research. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to our next segment, which I'm most excited about. I am titling this segment, Yes or No. Okay. So the first question is, would this movie be better with Kevin Costner in it?
1: Oh, this is a really good question. And I mean, I knew the question was coming, but like, I I guess I really hadn't really thought about it. I kind of want to say no in this case. I
0: think no is also my answer. And partly it's because he would obviously play the Tom Berenger character. And I actually really love tom berenger's performance and i don't want a world in which we don't have tom berenger as an aging catcher
1: yeah and i mean i want to say i mean obviously kevin costner was a little too young and hunky in 1989 also to point. play the catcher but like honestly any kevin costner i feel like there's and maybe this is something that i'm just like i'm taking from what i know and so i'm like biased like this is this is what i know from from bull durham and field of dreams and for love of the game is that there's just like there's a particular kind of like soulfulness to his baseballness that like i don't i mean bull durham is maybe an exception but like i don't know if all of the amazing stuff that he brings to baseball movies i don't know that it fits the tone of this movie
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And I feel like, you know, this is actually comes to the heart of what casting is all about. And what we as actors think about all the time is that, you know, very often what makes a person, what makes an actor right for a role is something completely ineffable about them that they can't control. And sorry to go on an acting tangent here, but this is actually the only thing in all of this that we know anything about. So we might as well. (laughs) So, you know, this is one of the things that we as actors tell ourselves, like when we really wanted a role and we didn't get it. The reason that we didn't get it wasn't because we were like, could have done a better job probably at the audition because everybody at a certain level is doing a super competent job at their audition. It's just like somebody else had something in their essence that made them more right or, or like a lack of something. Yeah. So like Tom Berenger's just like a little bit more, uh, playboy ish Mm -hmm. makes him more right for this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's not
0: to talk, not to say that one is a better actor. It's just to say like, yeah. What quality, what ineffable quality does an actor have that makes them right for a part?
1: And he looks like just the right amount of beat up, you know, yeah, yes. in, in like a in like a in a good way. I, I feel like I read some comment. It was like Rax King or somebody on on Twitter that was talking about, um, I think, Michael Madsen and sort of being like, there is a certain allure of actors once they look just like a little beat up, if hair.
0: they're men. Yeah, if they're
1: men, no, that is a hundred percent true. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel that way about about a number of ladies also. But like that kind of like handsome, but just like a little bit craggy <laughs> demeanor, yeah, which I think also fits with like the catcher persona. Of being, like, the leader on the battlefield and, like, the grizzled strategist of the team on the field and all of that.
2: Yeah,
0: totally. Oh, catchers. They're just so lovable. Yeah. So my next question is, does this movie reference Babe Ruth?
1: Well, it does not directly reference Babe Ruth, as far as I know, but it does indirectly because there is... That moment when Tom Berenger is on the field and playing a little game that I like to call make believe where he calls his shot and swings imaginarily, runs the bases and then sees that he has been watched all along by Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes. And um and
0: then he he also calls his shot in the climax of the film. Right. Misdirecting the fact that he's going to that, that he's going
1: that he's going to bunt and leg it out. Yeah, it's true. And I think that that's it, but I think that that is that is a way in which there is of course a nod to Babe Ruth and his legendary all-encompassing place in baseball.
0: So my next question is is there a dog Yes, there is definitely a dog in this movie, but it's so a
1: villain dog.
0: It, it, no dogs are villains. So, for those of you who don't know, I have—I'm sort of a dog about seeing dogs. If—if if you are a dog person and you know what a dog looks like when it sees another dog across the other across the street, that is how I am when I see a. Were dog. Are you about
1: to say across the aisle?
0: Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when you see
1: a dog across the aisle. Try to make friends with it. <laughs> try to
0: make friends with you it. You know. We're always trying to work with dogs across the aisle. So, um, so, yes, as soon as there's a dog in a movie, I feel the same way. So I shouted out dog when we saw the dog in this film. And I thought yeah. immediately there has to be a cat. There has to be a question about... <laughs> there is There
1: has to be a cat?
0: <laughs> I was going to say category. There has to be a question about is there a dog in this movie. Yeah. And yes, there is. It's like a little Pekingese... Probably belonging to the Rachel Phelps character, but like the dog is perfectly happy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love the equation of like if there's a dog, there has to be a cat. (laughs) No, I know it's not. I mean, it's not what you meant, but it is what you said. Um, The the. (laughs) I also love that it's a Pekingese, which I. Love. I mean, I have grown up with Shih Tzus, our little pup Mabel, who is trying to sleep in between us. She she's a Shih Tzu. And so little, little snub nosed dogs that look like monsters are kind of where my heart is. But I feel like the choice is definitely like villain arm candy a little bit. Like it's the Bond villain with the uh, with the cat. To, to stroke or whatever. Like, I feel like there is an antagonism towards small dogs.
0: I don't think it's quite the same as a Bond villain stroking a cat. Because I, that might have been a reach. Because, yeah, because the Pekingese, it's not just a... It's not meant to be a straight up villain. It's meant to be like frivolous and ridiculous. Like, I think that that is its storytelling function. There. You don't
1: think cats are frivolous and ridiculous?
0: Cats are straight villains.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Most cats. Every once in a while there's a cat that's okay. I'm deeply like deathly allergic to cats, by the way, so I'm very prejudiced for any cat people who yeah.
2: may be listening.
1: But it's but it's not like uh, you know, like a German shepherd or like a great dane or something. It's like a, this is the ridiculous animal that I stroke while I come up with my evil plans kind of dog.
0: Um, But most importantly, there is...
1: Yes. Um, The answer is yes. The next
0: question, question, and these questions, with the exception of that one, though I hope that we will find other dogs in other baseball movies, Mm -hmm. is that these are meant to apply to many different baseball movies as we are watching them.
1: I hope we watch... Airbud seventh inning fetch. I
0: I hope we do. And I hope that... Spoiler
1: alert. uh, The answer to that, is there a dog question, is yes.
0: Wait until they listen. (laughs) They're not going to listen to the episode now. Oh, God.
1: How would they know?
0: So anyway, uh, we may be adding to our yes or no section. I sort of hope that we do. But for now, we only have four questions. And our final question is, are Yankees fans the main antagonist of this film? And I think that it's pretty simply, no, they're not. They're no, not the main antagonist of this film because not. there's a terrible, evil woman who is the main antagonist.
1: And like, film. honestly, the Yankees are, I guess, the, the big rivals of the Indians, but the Yankees... As a team, actually don't seem like a villain. Like there are rivalries, they're just but the they're,
0: rivals. They're not really the villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and
1: we say this, like to be clear, Ellen and I are like not fans of the Yankees at all. I think they're probably at the very bottom of the list of the teams that we watch. And we watch most of the teams. Is that's that true. fair to say? Yes, fair. Although one. One kind of Yankees relevant thing that I read just as I was like trying to be like, oh, is there any interesting trivia about this film? And then finding like, um, I believe it's called a fuck ton of trivia related to this is that I believe in this film, the shortstop for the Yankees, who is God bless him, unnamed extra doing hard work to make the whole thing work.
0: Yay, background uh, um, actors are wonderful.
1: Is wearing the number two sort of. Foretelling the Bogarts. A- appearance of, <laughs> close, of 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 Derek Jeter. You who... mean
0: Xander Bogarts?
1: <laughs> but that's just like another, I mean, kind of like along the lines of like the Marlins beating the Indians in 97. Just like one of those kind of Bregman. funny coincidences. Anyway.
0: Now this is, uh, we're going to move along to our last section. What is your favorite moment in this film, Eric?
1: Oh, man. I love the intro. As I said, I really, despite despite my problems with the Cleveland Indian security, I really love that first sprint where where Wesley Snipes wakes up and is like, have I been cut already? And then legs it out in slow motion to get past everybody. And then Lou Brown is like, get that guy a uniform. There's something about that that I just, like, really love. And I know that it's not one of, like, the big climactic moments, but I think it's one of those parts that with every viewing of the film, I'm always kind of enjoying it and, like, having a good time. And that's the scene where, like, I suddenly lock in and I'm leaning forward and don't really stop until the movie's over.
0: It's such a wonderful moment. Yeah. It's such a wonderful moment. And, like, I have to admit, I can never watch it without thinking, is he running not wearing any shoes? (laughs) And how much harder must that be? And then I think, was Wesley Snipes, did he get to wear shoes? Maybe it's not as big of a deal for other people, but I have bone spurs in the balls of my feet because I danced ballet for so long. And so like the notion of running without shoes seems like utterly impossible. And maybe it's actually not that hard.
1: I also think about like the two guys that he's running in between where it's like, I am featured background as being a person who is slower than Wesley Snipes at spring training. (laughs) Like, like I am a part of a cool moment and a cool shot, not looking great.
0: Yeah, but if that were me, I would still put that on my reel. Oh
1: God, I would do it tomorrow. Like, I would do it tonight if someone asked me to. But I think about those when I when I watch moments like that in films.
0: Totally. So my favorite moment is also uh Willie Mays Hayes moment. It's just the moment when they're doing the Amex commercial and he comes in with the Don't Steal Home without it. Yeah. I think that's my favorite moment of the of the whole film. And there are so many wonderful moments to choose from. I also <laughs> really love the moment when he finds out that he makes the team and he's just doing this little like dance outside of the whole complex oh, because yeah. he didn't want to dance in the locker room in case people who didn't make the team would be offended so like there's <laughs> actually there's something like very sweet about the intention of that and then that you know that they were just like alright Wesley you want to just like dance for a little bit and that's what he did and it really delights me
1: yeah I I also really like both those moments I love also the, the setup to Don't Steal Home Without It which is a kind of longer than it should be credit card commercial which like Is a lot of credit card commercials, and it's just
2: not a car commercial, am I right?
1: Yes, take that cars. (laughs) But I love, I love the, I love the choice of various players in that commercial having like different levels of wooden acting, and then you know the kind of like I just think about like in 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 Billy Madison, not Billy Madison in Happy Gilmore when he does the subway commercial. And it's like such a complete, utter ridiculous send up of this type of thing. Um, And he goes, talk about a hole in one, like, (laughs) like in a complete, and there's like a version of that with other, with players in this saying their, their scripted lines in the credit card commercial. And then in comes Willie Mays Hayes. And he's just like totally charming and like, willing to, to do the thing. It's a great storytelling moment of, like, superstar potential.
0: Yeah, well, and actually, I think, to me, what's so fun about that moment in general, the whole credit card commercial, is the actors making a choice about how good of an actor their character is, which is always a great question for actors. Even if it's like your your character is not actually acting in that moment, but just like lying or, you know, trying to fool somebody or something like that. Like the question always is, how good of an actor is my character? Mm -hmm. And I usually try to assume that my character is as good of an actor as I am. Like that, they that they're pretty good at whatever kind of subterfuge they want to pull off. I don't know, like Janet said (laughs) in Homeland. But I think it's like watching an actor make a choice that their character is not a good actor is
1: always delightful.
0: So, do you have a least favorite moment?
1: Do I have a least favorite moment? Um, I think say no. I think right now what I'm thinking of is just honestly the the missed opportunity for like a montage or or some Mm. kind of storytelling moment. In that game after Sheen gets his glasses, where we, like, cut right to the end. Totally. Uh, um, that, that just feels, like, really disappointing to me. I love this movie. Every time I watch it, I'm like, maybe this is my favorite baseball movie. Although there are plenty that, like, hold that, like, potential place in my heart. So it's it's not... That big of a dent in it for me, but it is something that I just feel like could have made it even better if they had addressed that. And the fact that they don't, the lack of that scene is my least favorite scene.
0: That's fair. That's a good answer. My least favorite scene, we don't need to talk about it a lot, but I think it's just the scene where they're like taking the clothes off the pinup of... Uh, Rachel Phelps. So I already talked about that. I don't need to talk about it again. Do you, and you... Which
1: presumably is like an actual picture because she was an ex-showgirl. It's not like a Photoshop job.
2: Yeah, I don't... Yeah.
1: It's like the way that people have like shown modeling photos of Melania Trump to like shame her or something, which is like, no, like there are plenty of reasons to be mad, but like her being That's a model is not one of <laughs> them. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. Totally.
0: So do you have a favorite performance? You maybe mentioned this earlier
1: yeah, I really I think that I think that James Gammon is just spectacular. like I legitimately think that he should have gotten like award nominations for his performance as Lou Brown. He's so perfect for it. his timing is just um, impeccable and has such an amazing ability to be like the gruff doesn't give a shit, no-nonsense manager, while also having, like, a lot of heart. And not that we're there yet, although we might be in a future date, but I think that that continues with Major League Two as well. And I just, I think that I have a huge actor crush on him, and I think that he just does astonishing work in this.
0: That is an excellent choice, and I agree with you. My favorite performance, and by the way, we're talking about favorites here, we don't necessarily have to mean best. But my yeah. favorite performance is Wesley Snipes.
1: He's um he's amazing.
0: I mean, you know, we I've already talked about it a lot. He's very he's just so delightful and and charming. And I there love is not a, a every single moment, everything that he does is so specific.
1: There is and charisma so coming true. out of every pore of his body. Yeah. Yeah. While he is being so, so specific and good in everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an amazing choice also. But the thing is, there are so many possible choices and that's why this is such a good movie.
0: such a good movie. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to just append to this is that on, I know I've mentioned the podcast a couple of times, but on a recent podcast, Joe was talking about, uh, this is Joe Posnansky and his podcast, for those of you who don't know the way. Can't imagine who would listen to this who wouldn't know what the podcast was. But that people often say, oh, yeah, he like he runs like Mays and he plays like Mays. But actually, when he introduces himself, he says he plays like Mays and he runs like Hayes. Like Bob Hayes, the Olympic sprinter wide receiver. Um, and I feel like I that know. fact is often missed. And I just wanted to slide that in there.
1: I didn't. Just
0: I... like Willie Mays Hayes stealing home.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So my last question for you is, and I think you've maybe already answered it. So maybe cool. my question was going to be, scene that we didn't see that you would have liked to see, but you've actually already talked about it a couple of times. Yeah. And so I had for myself not, in fact, a scene that like really would have helped the storytelling, but just like, oh, that would have been fun. I would have really liked to see... Tom Berenger getting a traffic citation while driving the bullpen par- cart to Renee Russo's apartment.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody stopping him and being like. Dude, you can't like you can't just drive that around. That's not meant for road traffic or whatever. And him being like, "I gotta see about a dame," and then the, and then the <laughs> officer being like, "All right, then, brother, like you go get him." Now that I see you're on the Cleveland Indians and they're doing better, you go
2: on.
1: All right, brother. I well, or it could be it could be like it could be a moment of like totally like not having to do with the car, but just being like. You ran a red light.
2: Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like yeah. like
1: where it's where it's an indifferent police officer just doing like a very simple traffic infraction.
0: Although I feel like the police officer stopping him and then letting him go because he is on the Indians and the Indians are on the up and up would have been like the right thing in that in that moment of the movie. OK. Uh, of the sort of like growing acceptance of the team by the, by the fan base. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm with that. I'm with that.
0: So did you have a last question for me?
1: I I do have a last question for you. And this comes about through um, uh, years of living together and knowing your feelings about a number of baseball players. And, and that question is, did you have a player in this movie that you thought was the dreamiest.
0: Oh. Okay. That's actually really hard because as previously discussed with all of the excellent performances, mm-hmm. there are many candidates for very dreamy baseball player in this.
1: Yeah, cuz like even Corbin Burnson who's like a little bit of a fool I would um, never
0: pick him. His defense is too bad.
1: N- no, his defense is bad. I mean, it gets better over the course of the movie, so there's, like, improvement. But, like, he's still, like, a good-looking guy who's, like, clearly... Maybe not clearly. That's that's maybe, like, a thing to talk about after this. But, like... But still, like, if someone had said that, I'd be like, oh, I get it. He's a good-looking guy.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, still, like, his defense is too bad. He's not. He's not even on my draft board,
1: as far as I'm concerned.
0: But, like... Ricky Vaughn, obviously, an yeah. excellent choice, um, and I think that like Tom Berenger is very dreamy in this, despite the things that I mentioned earlier.
1: He's, he's that. He's that. He's that. Again, he's that. Like sort of beat up, sort of worn hunky. I, I
0: love. I love those catchers. Yeah, but I think I have to go Willie Mays Hayes here. I think he's it's, the dreamiest.
1: It's really hard.
0: I think he's to the dreamiest. Go against that. Yeah, yeah, I just like that like catch that he makes. His defense is so good. Yeah, he's the dreamiest to me. I know that his batting average may not be very high, but...
1: And he's... Yeah. He becomes good even, like... He is... He's an interesting character because, like, he is actually really good from the get-go. But, like, he's so prideful. He's so... Because he makes that, like, Willie Mays basket catch, like, very early on. and, And Lou Brown is like, that was a great catch don't ever do it again
0: yeah but basket catches are so dreamy it, I mean Cliff Lee in the 2009 World Series and his basket catch I just I, I mean I know that you shouldn't like do that but like maybe that's why it's so delightful to me because like it's sort
1: of naughty totally <laughs> <laughs> totally but I think that I think that the basket catch that Willie Mays Hayes makes is a is showboating whereas like the amazing catches that he makes towards the end of the film are more like I am trying to do I'm trying to help the team.
0: I love them all. I'm just saying like they're all That's welcome. True. They are. And all
1: and like that scene doesn't show him like trying to make a basket catch and failing. Like it's he true. Ma- he makes that catch. He makes
0: that basket catch. Yeah.
1: yeah. And- oh wait, there was one thing about Corbin Brunson that I wanted to say, which is that he is the player protecting his his face and self and that's why he's bad defensively is cuz he doesn't want to like dive into the dirt but like we never see him do a great thing right he's the person that's like i'm a free agent next year and i'm like waiting to cash in but but like why we we don't actually get like the sort of movie highlight moment of him making that many great plays like we don't see his value as a player in the movie that much we just believe his value based on the way that he is like living his life
0: yeah I mean that's why I didn't think he was the dreamiest I mean my real theory when he was like at the very end of the movie when he says to Rookie Vaughn like you better strike this guy out is because he just doesn't want to have to field
1: the ball yeah I'll agree with that well, like an hour 45 into talking about Major League. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us in our uh, 20 to 80 grading of Major League. And uh, we hope that you are not so scared off that you will not join us for another one. Bye, guys. On our next episode, we will be discussing the pride of the Yankees. So if you have pride in the Yankees, or if you deride the Yankees, go ahead and join us for that.
2: Root for the home team. If they don't win it's the shame. Well it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.